Man, just think of those words. God has never failed us. Amen? Woo. And we've seen some mountains moved. Amen? And I pray that we would what? See it again. Amen. Man, a good song. Woo. We could go home now. Amen? Just pray and just leave. All right. What? Isn't that funny how that last week and this week, where's Nick? We just, we don't, we love Nick singing, but it seems like we come in and interrupt him every single time. So, amen. So sorry, Nick, wherever you're at. All right, let me get my, myself straight. I've been looking forward to this sermon for quite some time and uh, <clears throat> really excited about it that uh, God would move in our midst and speak to us. So let's just go to the Lord and pray. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful and grateful for your Holy Spirit moving in our midst. And Father, most of all, for those of us that have been saved for and had a relationship for a long time, Father, you have never failed us. And we just are so grateful for your love and your mercy and your kindness and your goodness that you extend to us. We're just overwhelmed, Father, with that. And so we're grateful, thankful, and we pray now that as we just uh, dive into the Word of God, that uh, you would open our eyes, help us to see some truths uh, that would encourage our hearts and help us to leave here uh, basically empowered with your Spirit. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I have my notes here, so I, <laughs> I left my Bible somewhere. But I have my scripture notes here in case you're, ever, you're wondering about this. So uh, all the scripture will be on the screen for you to be able to follow along with me. So we've been going through Proverbs, and we've talked about anger and uh, we've talked about our words, the importance of our words. We've talked about pride. Uh, there's a lot of things that we've talked about. And we've talked about being filled with wisdom. We talked about wisdom. That's really what Proverbs is all about. Seeing things from God's perspective. And uh, thank you, brother. So when you look at uh, these things, like Anger, our words, friends, uh, um, pride. When you look at them from the Word of God, wisdom is, is embracing God's Word and then living it out. That's what wisdom is. And it gives us the ability to see things from God's perspective. And so what we've done in the past few weeks is we've looked at our words and we looked at them from God's perspective, the importance of encouraging each other and not tearing each other down. What We really dove into that, and we got, a, we got God's mind on that. We've talked about our anger, and we saw how God looks at that, and we got his perspective. We, we saw anger from his perspective, and, and how that when we're angry and somebody hurts us, we're supposed to speak kindly of them. Okay, we're supposed to speak well of them. Not just that, we get, that's, that's God's perspective. He goes beyond that and he says, we need to pray for those that hurt us, those that make us angry. We are supposed to pray that God would 
prosper them. Now, you talk about anti-understanding. You know, when somebody does something to me, the last thing I want to do is pray that God would bless them and prosper them, right? How many are with me that when somebody does something to me, I want God to take them down and take them down now? I mean, is that not our flesh? Raise your hand. Don't leave me out here by myself. That's, that's just the way we are. I was this morning going over this and going in the shower and thinking about this person that's driving me crazy. And I literally, had, it didn't make me mad, but drive me crazy. So I prayed God would prosper. It changed everything. It changed my perspective of that. Sorry about the, the shower point, okay? But that, that's just where it happened, okay? I don't know where that came from. All right, so, so seeing things from God's perspective. Now, here, here's what we want to do this morning, Okay? All of these things that we're, we've, we've been learning in Proverbs, and what I've been excited about this message is the words, the anger, praying for those that hurt us, and, and dealing with our pride issue, none of it can be effectively dealt with unless the Holy Spirit of God empowers us to do that. And so that's what I want to talk about today, is the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Everybody said? How to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And in order to do that, we have to go back to the Old Testament and see the Holy Spirit's involvement in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's involvement in the lives of the Christian in the New Testament, see the difference, draw the parallel, understand that we are living in the New Testament and how the Holy Spirit was involved in the New Testament believer's life is how he is involved in our lives, not the Old Testament. So let's, let's dive into the Old Testament and how the Holy Spirit worked in the believer's life, okay? In the Old Testament saint's life. The Holy Spirit came upon the believers in the Old Testament to empower them to do the work that God wanted them to do, to accomplish the work that God wanted them to accomplish. The Holy Spirit came upon them to empower them to do the work, okay? So in a couple of scriptures, in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 6, the first person we see is Saul. This took place in Saul's life. It says in verse 6, it says, at that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon, will come powerfully upon you, that's the prophet talking, and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Now, if you go on down, this is talking about what's going to happen. It actually happened. Three things took place in Saul's life when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Number one, he was empowered to prophesy. Number two, the Bible says his life was radically changed by the Spirit of God coming within him. And thirdly, God empowered him to be this first king in Israel. All right, to fulfill his role as the king. So the Holy Spirit came upon him to empower him to do those three things. It talks about that in the rest of that chapter. All right. Now, later on in his life, he rebelled against God. God took the spirit off of him and gave him an evil spirit. I just want you to see how it worked in the Old Testament, how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. So when Saul rebelled against God, he took his spirit and gave him an evil spirit to torment him. Then here comes David, the second king. God placed his spirit upon David. But when David sinned in Psalms chapter 51, we have David's confession. David's confession is this, Lord, renew a right spirit with me, within me. And then he says this, take, 51, 11, take not thy Holy Spirit 
from me. You see how that's working? Okay, this isn't some radical uh, uh, new doctrine. This is, this is our Bible. It's biblical truth. The Holy Spirit came upon, and then when they sinned, he took them. Now, David said, take not thy spirit, and the Lord didn't. Okay, he answered the prayer. We see Moses in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 17. It says this. God is talking to Moses. He says, I will come down and talk with you there. And now notice this. I will take some of the spirit that is upon you, okay? And I will put the Spirit upon them also. Seventy other men will, uh, uh, God put his Spirit upon them so that they can bear the burden of the people along with you because it's too heavy for you to carry. Moses was murmuring and complaining that he had these three, two to three million Jews that he had to deal with and had to judge, and so it was very heavy. So he was complaining to God, and God says, okay, I'll take some of the spirit off you and place it on the other 70 men to help you to rule and reign in the wilderness, basically, for those 40 years. So it goes on to talk about this in Judges chapter 6. It talks about Gideon, how God clothed him with the power of the Spirit of God. In Chronicles, it talks about Amos. Amaziah, and then in 2 Chronicles, it talks about Zechariah, and then, of course, in Genesis, it talks about Joseph. So I just want you to see here that in the Old Testament time, it's very important to remember this, the Holy Spirit came upon people to empower them to do the work of God. That is important to remember that. In the New Testament, the work of God can only be done by the power of the Spirit, but he doesn't work in the same way as the Old Testament, okay? In the New Testament, what we have, so let's look at that. The New Testament, before Jesus went to the cross, he said this in John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17. Jesus is talking to his his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, Now, the word another there in the Greek, it just means the exact same kind as me. I'm going to pray the Father, and he will give you someone just like me. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he reveals that here in just a moment. Okay? Now, notice this. Who will never leave you. Notice the difference. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon, left. New Testament, the Holy Spirit comes upon us or comes within us, and he never leaves us. And everybody said... I'm glad we're living the New Testament rather than the Old Testament. It keeps on going. Look at verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth, which the world cannot receive because it uh, is not looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him. Now notice this, because he lives with you and later he will be in you. Okay, so he's with us. He's in us in the New Testament and he will never leave us. Now, For the next few moments, let me just run through several things that the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does for you and I in this New Testament time. New Testament is over 2,000 years ago, but we're still living in that until the rapture takes place. Of course, then the tribulation period will take, take place, but we're living in this time of grace, the church time. And until the rapture takes place, we're still living in the New Testament time. And this is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, which is, by the way, fantastic. Okay? No matter what happens to us, no matter how many people leave us and forsake us, 
I mean, God never leaves us and forsakes us. Okay, so let me just take a break here real quick, okay? Um, yesterday, somebody got saved. Is that good? Right here on the front row. Stand up, if you will. This is Garrett. Did I get right, Garrett? And uh, this young, turn around, young lady and guy. Yeah. This young lady, he called and said, I don't know how to be saved. I want to be saved. And she said, come over and I'll lead you to the Lord. Amen. Just a young teenager. So pretty excited you can sit down. Real excited about that. And uh, um, Rose, Rose, where are you? Rose is over here somewhere. Rose, stand up. She trusted Christ a few weeks ago. We just thank God for that. Amen. So I'm just simply saying the Holy Spirit is moving, amen, in our midst. Okay, so it's really, really exciting. So let me give you several things, and you probably should write this down if you want to know all the things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Now listen, we talked a few weeks ago. This is what the Holy Spirit does. But our sin quenches and grieves the spirit of the living God living in us. So, so we, we in the New Testament time, we think, well, I can just do this and do this. And, and just, it's no big deal. But then you're running the Christian life or you're living the Christian life under your own power and your own strength. And the spirit of God is not free to flow and work through you. Man, who wants to live the Christian life alone and powerless? That's what we need the Holy Spirit. Just like the Holy Spirit came upon them in the Old Testament to empower them, we need the Holy Spirit who is in us to be set free, not be quenched, not be grieved, so he can empower us to accomplish the work of God through each and every one of us, not just the preacher, not just the elders, not just the deacons, every single believer. That's what's fantastic about this. Old Testament came upon all the leaders and kings and all that. Today, each and every believer has the Spirit of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, if you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. So when you trust Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives. Number one, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word convicts mean, means convince. The Holy Spirit convinces us of our sin, speaks to our conscience that we're living in sin, speaks to us of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the future judgment and the present judgment that we live in. You say, God doesn't judge believers. He chastises us. He spanks us. How many enjoy the spanking of the Lord? <laughs> Nobody said amen, right? Because we don't enjoy it. But we have a father that's not like my dad that was distant and not engaged. Our God is engaged. And you see these circumstances you, that's happened around it, and you just blow it off as it's nothing. And a lot of times it could be God chastising you. For a specific sin or something, a sin is not something that you're doing. It's also something you're not doing. Can I hear an amen? That speaks to me. There's a lot of things that we leave undone. But anyway, convicts, convinces. Number two, he seals us unto the day of redemption. That seal is proof that we are his and we cannot lose our salvation. Number three, he indwells us. I love that word. He's at home within us. He teaches us. He reveals truth to us. 
And all these scriptures are on the board, so you can write them down if you want. And if you want afterwards, you can come up and I'll give them to you. He reveals truth to us. He guides us. I love that. He speaks to us when we go out of bounds so we can get back where we belong. And he literally can prompt us that we should talk to somebody or we should go somewhere or we should do something. You ever had that happen? Well, I don't know about you, but I want it to be louder and clearer and more often than not. He bears fruit in us and through us. He reminds us of the truth of the Word of God once we have it in our minds. He brings out that as the sword of the Spirit. He equips us with the gifts. He empowers us in Acts 1.8. And then here's where we're going to dr- drill down on today. Okay. Last of all, He fills us. He fills us. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, let's look at that. Do not be drunk or don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. (laughs) I like this translation. Okay. Don't be drunk, dummy, because it'll ruin your life. But be filled with the Spirit. Now notice the word drunk and the word filled. Okay. That is important. So the first thing I want you to see in this, number one, is that this is a command. This is what we blow off all the time. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't ask you, well, if you can, please be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a command. The command is, don't get drunk. But get drunk in the Spirit. That's the command. Okay? So this morning, if you are not filled with the Spirit, you can draw the conclusion you're living in, and, 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 and we're Baptists, you know, we're kind of, we shy away from the Holy Spirit. But the problem when we shy away from the Holy Spirit, we're living in rebellion, disobedience, because this is a command, and we're not being continually filled. We're going to talk about that. We're not being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we're living in disobedience. And so we're living in that sin that we just talked about a few moments ago. We're not allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to raise our children, to be the wife, to be the husband, to be everything that he wants us to be. So number one, it's a command. Number two, it's a repeated reoccurrence. It's a repeated action. In other words, when, you get, when you're first saved, okay, The Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And you're baptized into the body of Christ. So two things happen. First of all, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and then you're baptized into the body of Christ. You're you're the bride. You're you're part of the bride, okay? You're baptized. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about something probably you've not heard before, or maybe you've heard it and it's been a long time. It's called the feeling. And it happened over and over in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Later on in chapter 4 and verse 8, Peter again, who was filled at, at, uh, at, uh, uh, in Acts at uh, Pentecost, he was filled again in chapter, eight, verse, or chapter 4, verse 8, and verse 31. He was filled at Pentecost. He comes out of prison. 
And he goes to his, his, his uh, fellow believers in the church and explains to them all that they did. And, and he begs God to give him power to go back and witness again because they're, they're going to kill me if I don't have your power. So he prays for their power. And the Bible says there in verse 31, 831, he was filled again with his spirit. So see, it's a recurring thing as Paul talks about. Number three, let's look at the meaning of the word filled. In the Greek the, the, the Greek word is P-L-E-R-E-S, and it, it means to control, okay, to be controlled. Now, we understand that, right? Because uh, earlier he talked about being drunk with wine and being drunk with the Spirit, so, so or being filled with the Spirit, which is controlled, so we can, we can line that two up. How many, and, and you don't have to raise your hand, especially if you're a teenager, do not raise your hand. If you're a college student, do not raise your hand. How many of you older Christians got saved late in the ladder? You see what I'm doing? Describing this so you're not raising your hand. How many have ever been drunk? Okay. Okay. And the rest of you are lying. Is that my understanding? <laughs> I'm kidding. I hope, hopefully, seriously, hopefully you've never been there. All right? But the point is, those of us that, were, that, that grew up in a non-Christian home, it was a normal occurrence all the time. I mean, that's what you went to. And so, I, you know, I remember being totally controlled. I can tell you incident after incident after incident, okay? I don't know what happened. And they say, well, that's not true. It's true. And I can give it story after story after story. The point is, every morning I get up, every morning I get up and I sit in my chair the very first things out of my mouth, I say, Father, I actually say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, I, no, that's why I say, I say, Holy Spirit, and I say it in different ways, but I want you to influence me like alcohol used to influence me. I want you to control me as liquor used to control, because it, it, it gives me a vivid picture of what I want to have. I want the Holy Spirit to take control of my life. And then I go into my prayers, then I go into my Bible reading, and those kinds of things. But, but the meaning of the word filled means control. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. In John chapter 16 and verse 6, John chapter 16 and verse 6, It says this, but because I have said these things, notice this, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus told the disciples that he was leaving. He was going to be crucified. He was going to be put to death and that they were going to go through some hard times. So from chapter 14, verse 1, all the way to chapter 16, he's describing these horrible events and sorrow had overcome the disciples. Have you been so overwhelmed with sorrow that it controlled you? that you couldn't hardly talk, you couldn't hardly breathe, you couldn't get control of the sorrow. Well, that's what he's talking about here. He says, sorrow hath filled their hearts. It's the same Greek word. Not just that, we have the other one. Let's go a couple of other examples. Luke chapter 25 and verse 26. They were filled with fear. It says this, and they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and they were filled with fear. What happened was four, uh, uh, 
friends brought their uh, crippled friend over to meet Jesus. They couldn't get in, so they took him on the roof. They tore out the stranger's house, stranger's roof, let this guy down, and Jesus healed them. And everybody was blown away. They were, we've never seen that before. And so they were filled with awe. They were filled with fear. The next illustration is in Luke chapter 6, verse 11, and it says this, but they were filled with rage, and they discussed to one another what they would do to Jesus. Okay, Jesus had healed a withered man's hand on the Sabbath, and, and all this crowd was coming around, and Jesus was teaching and preaching, and the Pharisees and the scribes, which are just nothing but religious uh, uh, leaders of cults, uh, uh, bad churches, if you will. And so they're jealous with envy because people are following Jesus and their lives are changed and their message is powerless. Everybody following? The powerless is like going to church and nothing happens. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak. Nothing happens. We don't want to be part of a church like that. Can I hear an amen? Okay, but that's what was going on. So all these people were excited about this this preacher, and, they, and so they were filled with rage. And they were discussing how to put him to death. You ever been filled with anger? Seriously. Of course you have. And you say things that you do not mean. <laughs> right? Hopefully it's not recently. But you've, how many have done that before? Come on. Speak to me. All right? I talked about last week, me driving down that, that gravel road after those three dudes. I was filled with, I was controlled. Only an idiot would do something like that, right? And yet I was doing it, all right? Filled with rage. What I was doing, it was controlling me and controlling me. Here's another one. Uh, Peter said in Acts chapter 5 and verse, 13, or verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourselves. And I said, Fire, this was the time when, when the church was really going through it. People were selling all their, their goods and houses and material things and bringing to the church because uh, the persecution was so bad, people were losing their jobs, they were losing their homes, they were losing basically every, had no food. And so people would come with money they would distribute it to the people. Well, Ananias and Sapphira sold their house, brought it to the disciples, and wanted this pat on the back. Of course, the Holy Spirit told Peter they didn't bring it all. And so Peter confronted them and said, why has Satan filled your heart? It wasn't that they were possessed. They were filled and controlled by his lies. I mean... They were controlling Ananias and fire. God knew that they were only bringing part of it, but they wanted the glory. So, hey, I brought it all. I'm sacrificing all for the church. They wanted to be, this pride was lifting them up. But then they died right there because Satan had filled their hearts to lie to the Holy Ghost. Now, you probably are wondering what this glove is doing up here. I'm going to give you an illustration this morning. Okay? This is one of my work gloves. And. I want to read something that I got out of a commentary, okay, when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur, in one of his commentaries, says this. The Christian who is filled with the Holy Spirit can be compared to a glove. 
until the glove, until it's filled by the hand, the glove is powerless and useless, even though it's designed to do work, it cannot do work by itself. It works only when the hand controls it to do so. Okay? It, 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 it can't do anything. Okay? The glove only works as the hand works. It does not ask the hand to give it something to do. Correct? <laughs> this glove doesn't say, hey, I want to go outside and work. Give me something to do. Doesn't do that. Nor does this glove brag about what it has accomplished. Okay? Christians can accomplish no more without the filling of the Spirit than this glove can accomplish without being filled with the hand. Everybody catch that? If we manage to do anything without the Spirit... It becomes wood, hay, and stubble, and it amounts to nothing in the eyes of God. And that's why we talked about anger last week. If, if the Holy Spirit doesn't fill me, I cannot speak well of those that hurt me. I cannot. It's not in my makeup to go around bragging about this person who stabbed me in the back. I can't do it. But the power of the Holy Spirit can work through me to accomplish it. Nor can I beg God to bless them and prosper them. It just doesn't happen. It's not in me. A guy that just stabs me in the back, I'm supposed to go to God and say, God, bless them, prosper them. But when the Holy Spirit is in me like the hand is in the glove, I can accomplish anything that God wants me to accomplish. That's the meaning of the word filled. And it's interesting as we look at the last word, the, the last scripture, in, uh, let's put it up on the board, Luke chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Ghost, returned uh, from the Jordan and was led into the by the led by the Spirit into the wilderness to in verse goes on to be tempted of the devil forty days and forty nights, or so he fasted forty days and he was doing battle with the devil. Now, now I'd love to I'd love to just park here for a few minutes, but we really can't. Um, but Jesus is Jesus is God. He doesn't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now listen very carefully. He doesn't have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to beat the devil. Just one word. Boom! He's down. But what an example for you and I that was Jesus was beginning his ministry, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Before he did battle with the enemy, Satan, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. What an example to you and I that you and I can't do the normal Christian daily responsibilities that, that God calls us to do without the Spirit filling us, nor can we approach and battle Satan without God filling us with his Spirit. It just will not work. We've got to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number four. I really want to get this because this is something, to be honest with you, I've never seen in Scripture before. So uh, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 through 19. Uh, and, and, and Paul prays for the church at Ephesus that they would be filled with the Spirit. Something I've never seen before outside of this last couple of weeks. It says this, let's, so follow along with me. 
Paul says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you. So Paul is praying here that the Holy Spirit would empower the Ephesus believers. Everybody see that? He's praying for them to be filled or to be empowered by the Spirit. Then, he continues in his prayer, then Christ will make his home in their hearts. He's praying that, Christ, I want them to make their home, uh, their heart a home to you. And of course, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He's never coming down there. So he's praying that the Holy Spirit would be at home. God, the Holy Spirit, would be at home in their hearts. Verse 18. And you will have the power of to understand as all God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Verse 19. May you experience, he's still praying, the love of Christ as it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Let me, give you, let me give you four things, just kind of bring it to a head here. Four things he prayed for. Number one, he prayed that they would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He prayed the Holy Spirit would empower them. Then he prayed that the Holy Spirit would be at home in their heart, that there be no sin there, that, that he wouldn't be grieved in their hearts. Everybody follow along? He wouldn't be quenched. He would, he would, he would feel comfortable. Then he prayed that, that they would understand God's love, the fruit of his spirit. He's praying that they would understand the love, the joy, the peace, the fruit of the spirit is love, and then all the other things spring off from that. And then he prayed that they would be full of the fullness of God. He prayed that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> That's fantastic. Okay? So you can pray for me. As I get in the pulpit, and this is something that God's been placing on my heart, that you guys pray that I, when I step in the pulpit, would not be in the flesh, that I would not, I would die to the flesh and be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting that, that we can all come together at home or wherever we're at, and we can pray that during this half an hour, sometimes 45 minutes, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through me. That this would not be just an hour of playing around or just an hour of fleener being crazy. This, that this would be, you see how I stretch it to an hour? This would be a time that God shows up. Like that last song, I'm sitting over here, I'm praising God and God just, he just, he just overwhelmed me with his love for me. That's what we want the scripture to do. The scripture, we want to come alive and be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Our kids need us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our wives need, men, our wives need us to be the leaders, to be the men of God in the home. I'm sorry, I'm chasing here, but, but that's, here's the thought. There is available to you and me, and it sounds charismatic, but it's Bible and it's Baptist doctrine. There is available to you and me the power of the living God for each and every one of us. 
The Spirit of God is real. The Spirit of God is alive. And these other churches have it. These other denominations sometimes have it. And we are left empty. Shallow. Living ordinary lives. Without the Spirit of God. Now listen. We can have the Spirit's power and provision or we can simply do the best we can in our flesh, just waiting to die and go to heaven. And of course, what that means is that we live a dissatisfied life. And a dis- a dis- a, you're, you're disappointed in God, and though it's not his fault. You're just ignoring the third person of the Trinity who lives in you. We pray to the Father. We pray to the Lord. We understand all of this, but we ignore the person, the Godhead that's living in each and every one of us who is dying to live through us and to speak through us to those around us. That's why recently... There's some, I wish I could give you some illustrations of this, but I, I just don't have time, okay? All that you and I need to live a victorious life, to live the abundant life, to bind Satan and not let him have his way in our lives is deposited already in you. You don't have to learn all of this truth to have victory, although This is the sword of the Spirit. My point is that the Holy Spirit is our, everything we need is already living in us to give us understanding of this and to grab the sword and to get victory on a daily basis. It's already there. We just have to tap into it and understand, like I never understood before, that I could pray for you, that you would be anointed, that you would be filled. The word anointing, I, I sometimes I pray that because I, I really never, Holy Spirit, just like peanut butter on bread, just smother me with your presence. I, I do, because I, I don't want to just send up all of these, uh, Hail Mary, Mother God, pray for us. I, I, I don't want to do that just rambling stuff. It's me and my God, and we're just talking. And I want him to fill me. So bottom line is Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18, he is saying, be intoxicated with God. Be empowered by my spirit. So, so when Paul is saying be intoxicated, his words confront us with a penetrating question. This morning, are you intoxicated with his spirit this morning? Are you drunk, if you will, on his spirit this morning? Or are you tired of the dryness of your Christian existence? Are you tired of the theology but no power? Because we say we have life with our words, but there's no power to live it 
and to change it. We're in this continual rut on a continual basis. So it's a powerful question. And when we feel empty inside and we long for something different, it's just God, literally God, giving you an invitation to press into him. You feel empty this morning and you're striving at something that's already deposited in you and it's just God saying, this is my invitation. I want you to understand the filling and I want you to be filled. So, so he commands us to and so we need to. So let me give you five steps. I want you to, I want you to write this down or, or, or uh, uh, take a shot when it's all done on the board. If, I'm not sure if it's all up there, but uh, these are some scriptures that steps to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, Because he, he commands you to be filled, and so he doesn't command us to do something that, that we can't do. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> he doesn't say, you have to be filled and then not let us know how to do it. Okay? Or not even know what it means. So, so number one, and I'm going to go through these real quick, accept that it's a command. Accept from God that this, when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is a command. Okay? Again, he says, be drunk, or, or be filled with, this, be not drunk with the wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Number two, confess Sins, because as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, our sin grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, uh, kind of like the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came off of them when they sinned. Uh, in the New Testament, we we quench Him. It's like this fire blazing in our lives, and it's bubbling over with enthusiasm for God. And we're talking about God, and when sin comes along, all of a sudden, that fire is put out. So number one, accept the command. Number two, confession. And then number three, yield. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 say this. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. And that's interesting, Paul. He begs the Christian. He's pleading, but the, word, the Greek word means beg you to give your bodies. And I'm going to quote King James. Give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, so what's he saying? He's saying, put your body up on this altar as a sacrifice. Die to yourself. Yield to the Holy Spirit so he can live his life through you. The only way it's going to happen is by we sacrifice. We yield to the person of the Holy Spirit. And then ask, number four, the Holy Spirit to come. And fill us. Look what it says in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. Yeah, that, that's it. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, now notice this, give the Holy Spirit. Now we're already indwelled. It's not the indwelling. We, we already have, we're already sealed with the Holy Spirit. So why would he say this? Why would he command you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why would he command us to pray? I mean, because we need him. In other words, God delights in allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through us. Ask. And then number four, believe. John chapter 5 and verse 14 and 15. 
and I really like the King James better, but listen, listen to this. And we are confident that whatsoever we ask, now notice this, it says anything that pleases him. I really don't like that. It says, if we pray anything in his will, that's a better translation. Okay, he will give us. And since we know that he hears us, when we uh, make our prayer request made known, uh, then we know that he will answer our prayers. Okay, so, so if we know that God hears us when we pray according to his will, then we know we already have it. That's the thought. So is it God's will for us to be filled? Yes. How do we know? Because he commands us. So when we pray, his word says, when you pray in his will, he will what? He will do it. It's fantastic. So when we ask God to fill us with the Spirit and we take care of the sin and, and we deal with it and we confess it because if, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just happens. So, real quickly, simple. Accept, confess, yield, ask, and believe and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Okay? I, I, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit literally takes control. It's not something weird and you're going to stumble out the front door I mean, drunk on the Holy Spirit. It's just he's got control of your life. You've yielded to him. And you're listening to him. And, and miraculous, he's empowering you to speak well to speak uplifting, positive words, not negative, destructive. He's, he's empowering you, all the things. That he's empowering you not to give to the flesh and live prideful, as we talked about for the last five weeks. So what I'm saying this morning, this is an invitation. We are actually going to give an invitation at Real Life Church this morning. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. Because every one of us, on a continual basis, need to be filled with the Spirit. So if you'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're running out of time, but if you'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit today, I want you to come down here to the front. Let's have the lights go down so that, the, that we're just, just kind of ourselves, you know, come down here at the altar this morning and pray these five things and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then... Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to pray and finish off the prayer and ask God to fill you, to anoint you with his spirit. So let's all stand to our feet, our heads bowed, our eyes closed. And as he's playing music in a soft, softened background, I want you to just come down here at the altar and I want you to just, just pray to God these five things to be filled with his spirit this morning, all right? Why don't you come right now? Don't hesitate. Every one of us ought to be down here because there's things that we do that quench the Spirit during the week. So come down here and pray these five things. And I will, after you get down here and you're praying, I'll again remind you of the five things so you can pray those five things. And then I'm going to pray for you as a whole. Folks are still coming. We'll just wait just a second and I'll remind you of the five things. Just anywhere around here, you can go on the front of the pews off to the side. There's plenty of room. First of all, cry out to God in your heart. 
and accept that this is a command directly from God. Because he says, be filled. And as you're there on your knees, confess your sins. The Holy Spirit will remind you. And as he's reminding you, confess it. Because if you just say, God, I blew it, forgive me, boom. He says, he'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Do that just for a couple of moments, and I'll keep silent. As you're there, Romans says, give yourselves as a sacrifice. Say, God, here am I. I'm giving myself to you. I'm yielding to you. And then ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, take control. And then believe it. Just stay right here now, and I'm going to pray for you. Father, we just come to you this morning and we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for what we've been learning in Proverbs. But Father, now we've come to understand that the things that you've called us to do, we can't do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us. And so, Father, I pray for all of these that are here this morning at the altar. Father, I pray that you would empower them. I'm just going to follow Paul's thinking here. I'm just praying that you would empower each and every person. I pray, Father, that you would, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be at home in their hearts and their lives. And, and that when you're not at home, that you would, you would prompt them to confess sin. But right now, I pray that you would be at home uh, in their hearts and in their lives. I pray that, Holy Spirit, that they would sense your presence right now in their lives. I pray, Father, that you would fill them with your spirit. Father, I pray that you would bind Satan as he begins to try and talk to them. I pray that you would bind their flesh because the flesh and the Satan and the world is our enemy. And I pray as the, the flesh begins to say things that you would give all of these people victory over flesh. They would compare the word of God with the flesh and what it says, and they would get victory. They would stand against their flesh. They would stand against Satan, and they would be filled with the spirit and believe that they're filled with you. Help us at Real Life Church to leave this place and believe that you're going to speak through us and, and we're going to see things from God's perspective and now we're going to be able to implement the Word of God with power from within, not of our flesh, but of your spirit. Oh God, bless in a great and mighty way. Thank you, Lord, for all that are up here and use them as they go back. Help them to, help them to, to, to be the dad, to be the mom, to be the wife, to be the husband, Father, to be the, the co-worker, uh, to be the friend that you called them to be able to see things from your perspective. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand this morning, will you? As you go back to your seats, we're going to sing one more song that really worships the Lord. And so